0: No, you tell it. No, you. I'm not telling it. You should totally tell it. (laughs) Well, you should tell it. No, you tell it. No, you tell it is a series that switches up the storytelling. So each performer writes a true life tale and then, switching with a partner, performs the other person's story. Giving everyone involved the chance to share their own stories and experience someone else's. Was she my first diva? What else fell out of my vagina along with my kid? These kinds of questions are best tackled at a literary bar crawl. No, You Tell It was thrilled to be part of the Queen's Book Festival's first ever Borough Lit Crawl this spring. Ten of our alumni storytellers came back to trade true life tales with a new partner in one long, loud, fun night. Give a listen to leg two of the Lit Crawl as our own Mike Dressel swaps stories with Ellie Dunn, one half of the hilarious comedy music duo Mel and Elle, hosted by Erica Iverson.
1: they can come
2: out of a no uh, You Tell It writing workshop, it's a brand new story, so I'm hearing them for the first time. And I'm very all excited. for all, everyone, including the authors, hearing yeah. them for the first time. And I'm very excited about that. So, kicking off our second half of the evening, here is A German Word for That, written by Mike Trussell and performed by Ellie Dunn. I took German during my first two years of high school. I'm not sure why, other than that at the time I didn't belong anywhere else. Spanish was for the underachievers, and I was still too much a goody-goody. Russian and Japanese for the super overachievers. Mini Henry Kissingers, already envisioning careers in government or international finance. French was for sleepy-eyed romantics, who may have dabbled in the wearing of berets, but German? it was a clearinghouse for the rejects, who had to fulfill their foreign language requirement. The class was peopled with budding computer programmers, ROTC kids, burnouts, and kooks, several of whom are by now either tech millionaires many times over, or serving lengthy prison sentences in remote correctional facilities. Entering ninth grade, I didn't know who I was, but I was sure which traits I didn't want to carry over from middle school. Scrawny kid with braces, first-chair clarinet in the band, (laughs) the lone occupant of his school bus bench reading his fantasy novels, a ready-made target for the weakness-seeking menace of bullies. The whole unruly assemblage was taught by Herr H., a man so square he was mathematical. He dressed a bit like a Christian missionary, starched shirts and sharply-pressed khakis, Tidy beard. He kept photos of his perfect nuclear family on his desk, and his idea of cutting loose on a Friday was to unpack his acoustic guitar and teach us folk songs. Kinderlieder, (laughs) And during the holidays, carols, auf Deutsch, natürlich, for von Trapp family-style sing-alongs. I can still recall most of the lyrics to Saft mir vor der Blumen schint, and (laughs) Stille (laughs) Nacht. Then there was my classmate. Let's call her Lily Darden. She was only a year or so older, but she seemed already a decade beyond me. Lest you think I'm about to introduce some manic pixie dream girl, the kind of teenage ingenue to feature in a certain type of YA novel, that naif that sets sensitive teenage boys' hearts palpitating Let me disabuse you of that notion. Lily did not embody that particular trope. She was tall and gangly, with long, solid arms and a snaggly smile. Because it was the early 90s and the 70s were retro-fashionable, Lily dressed in bright thrift-store polyester dresses. Hot pink or neon green tights and chunky black platform shoes. With her hair, always a little greasy looking, often pulled back tight, and her beaky nose, she was less pop-punk Tinkerbell, and more disco (laughs) alphabet. and to me, a shy, retiring 14-year-old, she also looked like an alternative. Outside of German class, I'd see Lily in the sunny concrete corridors as I ate my brown bag lunch alone, with her garishly appointed outfits being loud and generally defiantly out of step. She would respond gruffly to any insult or taunt she heard, and she heard plenty. Or, I'd catch a glimpse of her in the parking lot, surrounded by expensive BMWs and gleaming sports cars, behind the wheel of her poking, rusted-out, American-made beast, the medicine blue heat that belched smoke and backfired several times before she could steer it off campus to get fast food for lunch. Wherever she went, she was noticed. She was visible. To me, visibility was a trait to be deplored, not admired. To dress, to draw attention to yourself, to brazenly court people's gaze. It wasn't that I was unfashionable or unaware. Ask me about my jams or my Z-Cabarichis from 7th grade. But I used the mallwares from the gap or chess game or structure as a kind of teenage camouflage. A way to blend in, to deflect, to transmit the idea that See? I'm just like you. Please, divert your focus. (laughs) (laughs) It was while in German class, I would study Lily with a sense of awe, and possibly envy, as she unspooled the raucous stories of exploits with her friends. Our awful German textbook itself was a retro throwback from the 70s, featuring impossibly blonde families in bell-bottoms and tight turtleneck sweaters who went for hikes in den or ordered schnitzel dinners at a local restaurant, Cat H would admonish our group to settle down and keep conjugating verbs as Lily talked about house parties where everyone was chain-smoking, lighting their cigarettes off of stove burners, making French onion soup and playing Wesson Oil Twister, how there'd be food fights or shaving cream fights and falling asleep on beanbag chairs. Nothing too transgressive, just typical suburban teenage shenanigans. Though it is a good indication of how sheltered I was how thirsty for social interaction, that those events left an impression on me. I never went, though, had she extended an invitation, I'd have flushed and stammered my excuses. I can't even imagine asking my parents for a ride. But her descriptions were so enticing, I think they seeped into my dreams. I mean, at this point, I'd get to see a John Waters or Russ Meyers movie or crack the Spine of Armistead Maupin's Tales of the City, things I'd come to do shortly. Of the few CDs I owned, One was Millie Vanilli's album I purchased at Costco. (laughs) In retrospect, Lily was maybe my first diva. Was she a camp figure? I didn't know, from Beth or Judy, Mommy Dearest or Auntie May, Big and Little Edie Beale, at that point in my life. I didn't have the vocabulary or context for such associations. Hadn't read Susan Sontag. Though, with her louche books, Husky voice smear of dark lipstick, coal rimmed eyes, and glitter, in an early decade, in an earlier decade, Lily might easily have ended up a Warhol superstar or a repertory player in John Waters' dreamland. Like all divas, it was partly smoke and mirrors, scrim and gauze, the screen to project onto. The mystique, the aura, is as much an invention of the audience, the admirer, as it is the object of interest. Maybe it wasn't authenticity, but guise, Artifice, she offered. A way to work from the outside in. To fake it so real I was beyond fake, to borrow from a popular lyric of the day. After the requisite two years of language class, I chose not to continue on to German 3 and then German 4, despite Herr H's urging. I was getting into the theater. Another sanctum for the castaways and oddly shaped puzzle piece kids of high school, and the identity I was seeking was starting to become clearer. Or, rather, I was trying on different ones. Experimenting. Learning that nothing need be fixed or rigid. It could morph. A process of accumulations and accretion. In that crucible, I started to understand that if I controlled the presentation, focused the gaze in some way, then I gained a small measure of power. I believed that being invisible was safe, was preferable, when the opposite was true. It wasn't like I became cool, but I don't think that was ever the aim. I was still on the fringes. I had taken up listening to original cast albums and debating debating the merits of Broadway revivals, spending afternoons watching a Laserdisc compilation of Andrew Lloyd Webber videos. I was also wearing thrift store cardigans, smoking menthol cigarettes, drinking bottomless cups of coffee at chain restaurants with the friends I was beginning to make. I stole a pair of bowling shoes and wore them to school, frequently. <laughs> I discovered the easy freedom that comes in a bottle of hair dye. I cultivated an eye for kitsch. I hastily ditched Millie Vanilli for Portishead's dummy and neo-lounge music. I was not comfortable with myself yet, but I started becoming defiantly uncomfortable. Learning to be seen on terms of my own devising. As I became more the participant and less the observer, Lily receded. It's easy to lose sight of someone in a sea of hundreds of students as you start to see yourself. Yet, she is always the person I immediately think of when I recall those early high school years. This ineffable, almost chimerical figure from the past. Is there a word for someone who helps you get in touch with your inner weirdo? An exemplar who appears in one's life to give permission just by their very presence, that points the way to being colorful and unapologetic, encourages you to throw the party and make a mess, indicates that quiet desperation is never a cute look. Maybe try throwing some thrift store tongs. I'm sure there's a word for that, and it's probably in German.
0: to note that you are one half of Mel and L. yes, and
2: your most recent amazing show, The Mommy Show, and and so uh, it's an amazing February show if you ever get to see it, it's worth seeing, uh, or, or whatever the next incarnation of Mel and L will be, but um, as a songwriter, what is, what is, how is being a <laughs> songwriter different from this, and what is, like what different parts of your brain do they exercise? Um, being a songwriter is totally different because you, well you want your lyrics to rhyme and so you're trying to, you're trying to squeeze a really, com- not necessarily really complex, but you're trying to squeeze what might be an extensive sentence or thought or idea into like a really short phrase and then having to rhyme something with it in the next line or stanza or whatever. So that's like a fun puzzle. It's a puzzle piece thing that I get out of writing songs. And then just writing a story, um, you know, it's completely different because you have complete freedom to make it however you want to So I actually, I think it's easier to write songs. Because because when you come up with the rhyme, you're like, that's done. Like, I know that's like the rhyme. In a story, you can keep revising and revising forever, and Mm -hmm. I don't like it. (laughs) Well, uh, nevertheless, we're very glad that you did, that you wrote a new story for us. So closing out this leg, we have one more leg to go
1: after this one, but right, for right now, here is Mom Friends, written by Ellie Dunn and Red Cross by Mike Hustle. Mom Friends. When I gave birth to my son, my personality fell out of my vagina. <laughs> Down it slid, onto the delivery room floor, to be mopped up and disposed of with all the blood and bits of placenta. And now... As a result, I no longer have anything interesting to say. (laughs) Before my kid was born, I had a really fun life with a great group of friends and some decent momentum as a comedy performer. I watched current television programs and listened to new music and had a good enough grasp of what was going on in the world to be able to discuss it. But now that I have a child, I spend all of my minutes keeping track of another person's food, sleep, piss, shit, cleanliness, and health, all while desperately trying to reclaim enough time to keep track of my own. It's all I can do. It's all I can think about. It's all I can talk about. And that is so fucking boring. You would think, That being self-aware enough to know that I'm boring might make me more interesting. But it doesn't. (laughs) Whenever you ask me what's new, I panic. It's such a basic and pleasant way to start a conversation, but it fills me with anxiety. If my husband Josh asks about my day, I have tons to say. Our boy pooped today and he didn't even cry about it. Isn't that great? He ate some of his chicken and beans at lunch instead of just his fruit. Big progress. He learned the word chrysalis, but he pronounces it with a lip. Isn't that cute? <laughs> but you don't care about any of that sort of thing. So what am I supposed to tell you? Things are great, Plugging right along. What's new with you? You will then tell me about that bitch at work who won't shut up about eating paleo, or that amazing trip that you're planning to a remote Norwegian island to see the Northern Lights, or how well-endowed your latest one-night stand is. (laughs) And I will smile and nod and say things like, Paleo, shmaleo, (laughs) Or, take a lot of pictures for me. Or, really? (laughs) This cock was that big? (laughs) Ouch. I don't have the same struggle with my mom friends. Mom friends are exactly what they sound like. Friends who are also moms who ideally have children around the same age as mine so that we can compare milestones and exchange parenting tips and mostly commiserate. Since I live in New York City, it's best if these mom friends live within walking distance, so that when a blizzard lasts for three days and there is nowhere else to go, I can bundle up the kiddo for a five-minute stroll to an apartment with a playmate and different toys and new exciting snacks like mac and cheese in the shape of horses and tractors. While the kids play, I can ramble on to my mom friend about sleep training, and she will never get bored. Mom friends are supportive because they also need support, and this symbiotic relationship is what gets us new mothers through the first few years without completely losing our minds. I don't mean to make you feel bad for not being my mom friend, I still love you, and I value our history. In fact, not long ago, I was you. When Melanie, my best friend since I was 12, had her first child, I tried to be as supportive and available as I could, but that didn't stop her from making mom friends. (laughs) Suddenly she was telling me about women with names like Petrushka and Lulu, and using phrases like playdate and nap schedule. She was constantly telling me that she got zero sleep the night before, and I was certain she was exaggerating. She became highly inflexible. I did not understand why she wouldn't just throw the baby in a stroller and come meet me for lunch when she had all the time in the world to spend with stupid Lulu. I was jealous and hurt and a little bit annoyed. We survived because she's my best friend and I'm not a complete asshole. But as much as my intelligent brain thought I understood what she was going through, I now realize I didn't understand. I had my son Charlie two years later in December and the winter months that followed were filled with so much snow that there was no safe way to venture out with a newborn on a regular basis. Nursing did not come naturally to me, and it hurt so badly that I had to break down on one of his pacifiers to keep from screaming every time he tried to latch on. I soon learned he had horrible acid reflux. Uh, Soon learned that he had horrible acid reflux, which was why he spent so much of his waking time screaming. I was alone, with the baby for 10 hours each day while my husband worked. We didn't have family nearby to offer help or keep me company. And during those first few months, Melanie visited exactly twice. In her defense, she lived in Harlem and I lived in Sunnyside, Queens. There was ice on the ground for 90 days straight and she was stuck at home with her own child. She offered as much moral support as she could by text and late-night desperate phone calls, but her main piece of advice was that I needed to make some mom friends. (laughs) Once again, I was aggravated. Why did I need new friends when I was perfectly happy with my existing ones? I'd spent years fostering relationships with people I had met in high school and college and cool people I had allied myself with at various office jobs. Josh and I decided that in order to maintain our old friendships, we would have people over for brunch every weekend. Remember when we offered you a delicious meal, a mimosa, and a cute baby to hold, and you slept all the way to Queens in the ice and snow? We may have seemed calm and collected, but we were not enjoying ourselves because <laughs> Charlie was either screaming or nursing or not sleeping because of all the excitement. And in the rare moments of quiet you would ask, so what else is new? Yeah, that was not relaxing. I was relieved when spring came because we could get outside a bit more. One warmish day, Charlie wouldn't stop screaming and I was an emotional wreck, so I decided to just throw him in the Ergo Baby carrier and walk around my neighborhood to get a change of scene and some air. The walking did not stop him from shrieking. And after several people threw judgmental glances my way, and one old woman shouted, that's a real brat, (laughs) I started to cry. Everywhere I turned there were mothers with calm and happy babies and carriers and strollers, but I didn't know any of them, so I couldn't stop them and ask, is your baby always so chill? What do you do when you can't calm him? Is there... Anywhere to take them around here, other than the goddamn Starbucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or the real question that I was dying to ask. Will you please be my friends. I felt so alone and sad. Then I looked across the street and saw a bunch of parent-type people emerging from a church. I later learned that there was this daily play group held in the basement, but I didn't know that then. All I knew was that I recognized Dan friend of a friend who I had been on one date with several years prior. I think I told you about him. Super nice guy, interesting banter, no sparks. Dan had a baby boy about Charlie's size and a similar ergo baby carrier. That was all I needed to let my inner lunatic out. I was probably more than 50 feet away from Dan, but I started speed walking across the intersection and shouting, Dan! Dan! Is that you? It's me! Ellie, I live here! In this neighborhood! Do you live here, too? It took him several seconds to place me, but he did remember who I was, and he was incredibly kind. He was a friend, a dad friend, with a son only a few weeks older than Charlie, he was willing to exchange numbers and plan a meet up and introduce me to other parent-type people in the neighborhood. It was the most wonderful thing to happen to me since I gave birth. After that encounter, I started to learn the inner workings of Sunnyside's parenting community. (laughs) I learned which listserv to join. Sunny Moms, of course, and where the playgroups were and how to sign up for the local mommy and me music class. I joined the other moms for coffee at the music class, and we talked about breastfeeding and pumping and teething and fevers and all the kinds of crap that would make you, a non-parent, fall asleep. I didn't automatically jive with everyone. Just because someone has a child doesn't mean that you should be besties. But I found my people. These are the people who don't flinch when I text them at 7.15am to ask what time they're coming over because, like me, they have been awake since 5.45 and are already (laughs) bored with playing peekaboo and watching Elmo. These are my mom friends. These are my Lulu's. My own mom used to say, You'll make friends with the parents of the kids Charlie goes to school with. And I used to think, Fuck that. (laughs) Because who could possibly understand me better than the friend I've known since I was 12? But now I know that I will make friends with those people. Not all of them, just the cool ones. Because if I don't befriend them, who will listen to me whine about the Common Core Curriculum, or the lengthy school supply list, or The bitchy gym teacher who had a one-night stand with the same guy you banged that one time. (laughs) Remember? (laughs) The guy with the giant (laughs) (laughs) cock.
0: That's it. Thanks for joining us for this installment of No, You Tell It.
1: Visit us on the web at knowyoutellit.com.